This is Pastor Derek Thomas of Living Witness Ministries. The Anchor app is a tremendous way to share your business, your ministry, your vision with people worldwide. This free app gives you the capacity to produce, edit, and publish your own podcast, secure sponsors of it, and gives you access to global podcast platforms, including Spotify. Give the Anchor app a try today. You can find it in the App Store for iPhones and the Google Play Store for Android devices. What are you waiting for? Get your message out today by trying the Anchor app. I'm a living witness. You'll be glad you did. Our text for the word this morning is found in the gospel according to St. Matthew. We're going to be looking this morning briefly at the 8th chapter. And we're going to be looking at verses 5 through 13. And really the key verse in the passage of scripture that we're going to be meditating the most on is verse 8. But we're going to be dealing with verses 5 through 13 as a whole. I'll be reading from the New King James Version of God's Holy Word today, and I'll also be referencing the same. And what you'll find written there, beginning with verse 5 in Matthew 8, reads thusly. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say, go this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, verily I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour as we speak this morning to the subject say the word amen? amen say the word really a very simple title in speaking but much more involved in substance often we as people are prompted to move by our surroundings I went back to school while I was gone. I told you I did a lot while I was gone. And one of the things that I did is I started uh, back in school. I started my master's program back in school. And I'm, I'm working to get my master's degree in psychology. And my first assignment brought me to the reality that I've been out of school a long time. <laughs> but God is good because in the assignment, it asked me to pick a discipline of psychology that I wanted to learn more about. And the discipline of psychology that I picked was social psychology. And social psychology, in layman's terms, is, is basically a study of why people do what they do in society. And what I've come to find out, even in just a few articles that I've read, and again, I'm just starting, 
is that the needs and the value system of the whole tend to overshadow the value system of the individual. And that can be a dangerous proposition when it comes to making decisions because God created each of us individually. The word says that each of us are fearfully and wonderfully made, which means we each have gifts, we each have talents, we each have graces, we each have a purpose and a plan that God has designed us for. But often those purposes and plans get shortchanged and short-circuited because we're so worried with what the general consensus believes and what the general consensus feels that we tend to stop listening to God and start listening to everybody else. There was one experiment that I remember reading about, and I remember this from even my undergrad studies where uh, an individual was being told by a group that he couldn't see, he was just on the phone with him, and, and he was being told uh, to shock the individual or so he thought that was on the other side of the wall every time he made a wrong answer. And he was supposed to gradually increase the shock amount from a voltage standpoint. And he had gotten it up to a point where it could really do damage and kill somebody. And he was faced with a decision, do I do what I know is right or do I do what the general consensus is saying? And it's interesting because the majority of the people, even though they knew what was right, did what the general consensus was saying. They stopped listening to what was right to do what was acceptable. And far too many of us that profess the name of Christ have sought to do the very same thing. We stopped doing what's right in order to do what's acceptable, which leads us to our text. Here we have a man that uh, is, a, is, a, is a ruler, a man that is a, a, a captain, a lead in the military, and he sees Jesus coming. And because he sees Jesus coming, he knows the right thing to do is to ask the Lord for help. But he knows society would frown upon it because of a variety of reasons, because he was a Gentile, because he did this and he did that. Yet he understood the key point that we as believers need to understand. Not only do we not need to follow the crowd and follow the herd, but we need to be willing to hear God's voice and be an individual. Amen. But it goes even further than that. Not only must we be in, in, willing to be an individual and follow God's voice, but we need to walk truly by faith and not by sight because the word lets us know that faith is the substance of things hoped for it's the evidence of things not seen in other words there's nothing tangible in front of us that we can see there's nothing that we can feel there's nothing we can put our hands on and point to when God has us walking by faith to say this is it this is what I'm trying to show you all we have is the word that God has promised us and God showed us how to manifest the things as it pertains to what he shows us in the word and he shows us how to do it which is housed in verse eight of our text the centurion said in verse eight in our text and, and and he said lord i'm not worthy that you should come under my roof but only speak the word and my servant will be healed i don't need you to see him i don't need you to come in the house physically i don't need you to write a letter i don't need you to put some water in my hand i don't need you to put some 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 grease here i don't need you to do anything more than speak the word because you speaking the word a word from you god is more than enough for any and every situation far too often we make this thing called life and living victoriously more difficult than it needs to be we have to understand and realize that God created us to function like him. Back in Genesis, it says in chapter 1, verse 26, that he created man in his image and his likeness, which means he created us to walk like him. He created us to talk like him. He created us to function like him. And if God created us to function like him, look at how God functioned in Genesis. 
with the exception of mankind, God created everything by three simple words. And God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be firmament. And God said, let there be day. And God said, let there be night. You see the pattern here? <coughs> God moves by saying things. The only thing that he didn't say as it pertains to creation was us. It says, and God made man in his image, in his likeness. God truly put his stamp of approval on us, and he desires us to function as he functions. So the centurion here understood and realized the point that God is getting us to understand today that we had to walk in the authority of the word. Amen? We got to walk in the authority of the word that's been given to us. So often people speak words that have no meaning. They speak words that have no purpose. And words are the primary means that God has given us here in the earth to communicate. So words carry weight. And once we understand the magnitude of the weight that, word, that words carry, we'll not put ourselves in positions to get injured. One thing I see all the time when I'm at the gym is guys loading up the bar too much with weight that's, too, that's, that's, that's heavier for them to deal with. That's mistake number one. But number two, they have the pride to believe that they can move it, but they're moving it in the wrong way. They're moving it in, in the wrong capacity. They're trying to lift on a machine that's designed to push. They're trying to push on a machine that's designed to pull. They're trying to pull on a machine that's designed to lift. So they're seeking to use weight in the wrong way in the wrong amount in the wrong measure so it's inevitable that sooner or later they're going to do damage far too often we use the words that God has given us in the word to misapply to misappropriate what God desires us to do and inevitably we wind up doing damage but in order for us to be successful and to be victorious and to truly walk in the fullness of the authority of the word God's given us a blueprint on how to do it with this particular passage of scripture and we're going to deal with it for just a few minutes and we're going to go on home and back to our activities today the first way that we do it is by knowing our role amen We've got to understand who the heck we are. Look at what it says in verses 5 through 7 in, in Matthew 8. And I would encourage you in your reading time this week to read the whole chapter of Matthew 8 because it gives us tremendous insight on what and how God moves when faith is applied. It says here now, when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Now, Capernaum was significant as far as a place because there's an age-old saying, it's not what you know, it's, it's who you know as it pertains to business. Capernaum was a big deal. It was like a major city on a trade route. It would be like modern day if you're on your way to the East Coast or on your way to the West Coast and you're driving, there's pretty much no way you can get to either coast without coming through Chicago. It's like a major city. So Capernaum was a big deal. But it was interesting because Capernaum was a home of some prominent people. Peter and James were, were, were from Capernaum. Uh, John was from Capernaum. Uh, Peter was from Capernaum. A lot of people that wound up being disciples were come from, from Capernaum. And this was a, a significant city because it shows here in our text that, that the centurion was an individual of prominence in a prominent city. And I ask key to understand, a centurion is just not like just little anybody. A centurion by design was a Roman military officer who commanded up to 100 men. And that was a lot of men to command. I mean, think about it. I got a staff at work of about 20 people. And depending on the day, they drive me crazy. So imagine trying to maintain 100 individuals, 100 different personalities, 
a hundred different mindsets, a hundred different heart sets, a hundred different spirit sets, a hundred different wills to not only get them to coexist and work together, but to work together as a team to take territory and be successful with it. This man was a big deal in a big city. He was big time in a nutshell. But check this out. In the midst of him being big time in a nutshell, he understood that he was nothing more as it pertains to God's economy of scale and how God desires to move as an intermediary for somebody that had a need. No matter how great we feel we might be, no matter how big a deal we might feel we might be, no matter how much success or how many accolades we might get, it boils down to one thing. Leadership and effectiveness in leadership is rooted in effectiveness in followership. We're only as great a leader as we're willing to follow a greater power. Amen. No leader worth his or her weight in salt became a leader by osmosis. It came by experience. It came by being willing to follow. It came by experience being gained in times and moments of adversity. In Luke's gospel, it indicates that the centurion appealed to Jesus through intermediaries because of his own sense of unworthiness. So here, the centurion, who was a leader, who was respected, understood that no matter what success, he had, no matter what seeming power he had, he understood that when it came to God, he was unworthy. The word puts it this way, at our very best, all that we do as it pertains to God is nothing more than filthy rags. We have to understand our role and realize that God can and will only use us once we get to the point of not only being obedient, but being willing to be used by God. And a willingness to be used by God comes first by understanding just who we are as it pertains to God. God, you're God, I'm not. I think the word says that you're the potter and I'm the clay, but oftentimes we get it backwards. God, you're God, but guess what? You're going to do what I said do. God is not a genie. And Lord knows God is not in a box. We have to understand and realize that it's in him, the word of God says, that we live. And it's in him that we move. And it's in him that we have our being. And we got to understand and realize that the word has spelled it out in such a way so that we're to draw near unto him. God is our source. God is our center. He's our foundation. And he's everything. The hymn writer wrote, what should I render? What should I give? In the chorus, he writes, God is everything and everything belongs to him. But far too often, those of us that have said yes to Jesus Christ have said no to the reality of our individual relationship to him and the fact that he's the center of it and like social psychology have bought into the movement of there's more of us than there is of him. <laughs> While Matthew makes no mention in his gospel of the intermediaries, it's important for us to know that like the centurion, we too got to understand our role as God's intermediaries in the earth. Amen? It's not by chance that God chose Peter and James and John and, 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 and everybody from Capernaum. It's not by chance he chose them. It's not by chance that he was coming through there. It was, it was by divine providence. God takes homegrown talent. One of the biggest challenges in college sports here in the Chicagoland area is that there's not a school that's tapped into how to grab homegrown talent. 
Most of our homegrown talent goes other places to find tremendous success. But the key is if you can tap into what you have at home, everything that you need is already in the house. God has given us everything that we need is already in the house in the word. But we're looking to other places when the talent and the blessings that we need are homegrown. It's right there in the word. We just got to be willing to use what he's given us. Put our pride aside and realize that we're nothing more than intermediaries. Doesn't matter how many letters I have behind my name. Doesn't matter how many thousands of people might be in the congregation. Doesn't matter how many millions of people are reached by social media and by TV and by radio. At the end of the day, each of us are nothing more than servants to the Most High God. And as such, we have to present ourselves as servants of the Most High God. You don't walk into the presence of someone that's in a position of authority and just sashay in whenever you feel like it and speak to them any kind of way. No. We have to give our God the reverence that he deserves, the respect that he deserves, the understanding that he deserves, the worship that he deserves because he's given us everything that we need. What should we render? God desires us to render ourselves to him so that he might be glorified. Which leads us to the second way that we can walk in authority, in the authority of the word, and that's by opening our mouths. Amen? My mom taught me and my sisters a long time ago. And a, a closed mouth don't get fed. Don't get fed. The wheel that gets the oil is the sweetest wheel. If you're quiet, silence is consent. Silence means everything is fine. Silence doesn't necessarily mean it's golden. It just means that you're unwilling to speak up and say something. Remember I said back in Genesis that God created man in his image and his likeness. The one thing that he did not give man was the capacity to choose. And he did it because his intent, I believe, was for us to be protected from the many choices that are out there. Because we were created to worship, have dominion, and to multiply. But because of what happened in the garden, we were given the capacity to choose. But we've been given glimpses of the test. We've been given glimpses of the notes. It's so much so that blatantly it said in the word, I believe it was in Joshua, choose ye this day whom you're going to serve, whether good or evil. And Joshua said, as for me and my house, I'm giving you the answer right now. Me and my house are going to serve the Lord. It says another place in the word, behold, I place before you life and death, blessings and curses. The answer has been given to us. Choose life. I'm telling you what the answer is. Yet far too many of us are unwilling to open our mouths and speak the answer. If my, when my master's agree, if my master's degree was on the line and my teacher said, Derek, one plus one is two. Now, to get your degree, I need you to tell me what is one plus one. I would be an absolute fool to not open my mouth and tell the man what one plus one is, especially if you just told me what the answer is. But can I let you know a little secret? That's what a lot of us that profess the name of Christ do every single day when we choose not to open our mouths and speak the word. The word has everything that we need, whatever situation we have, if we study the word, because the Bible tells us to study to show ourselves approved, not unto man, but unto who? Study to show ourselves approved unto God. A workman that 
Lead us not be ashamed, rightly divining the word of truth. In other words, study to be ready because the test is an open book test. But the key to the book being open is you making the decision to sit down and study. Far too many of us that have said yes to Jesus Christ only crack this book open on the Sundays that we come to church. We don't open it at any other point in time during the week. And we have no excuse because the word is on TV, the word is on radio, the word is on social media, the word, heck, the word is on our cell phones. Yet we make the choice and the decision to not open our mouths and share the word in situations. Again, social psychology, a situation comes up where we, we know because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ that the word is the answer. Instead of giving the word which we know is the answer, we choose to go with what society says, well, you need to strike. You need to do this. You need to do that. No, we need to do what the Word says. The Word says to come and let us sit down and reason together. But it's not the popular answer. Because the Word, when we make the Word the centerpiece, people that get paid for talking about stuff and paid to cause conflict stop getting paid. And when they stop getting paid, that becomes a problem. The Bible lets us know that we can't serve two masters. We can't serve God and mammon. Mammon is money. Mammon is treasure. Mammon is, mammon is wealth. And far too many of us have turned our back on the word to go after wealth. But how many of you know that the true wealth and riches are found in the word of God? Look at what it says here beginning with verses 8 and 9. It says here that the centurion answered Jesus because Jesus said he was going to come to the house and heal. But check this out. In verse 8 it says, The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, Go, and he goes into another, Come, and he comes, and to my servant do this, and he does it. One of the toughest positions professionally to be in, and I'm in it right now professionally, is middle management. Because you got pressure above you from your boss, you got timelines you got to meet, you got to cascade that pressure to people below you that give you resistance, and it comes back up. So you in the middle, you're in a pressure cooker all the time. And the way that you protect yourself is to do what the word says. The word says, let your yay be yay, let your nay be nay. I put it this way. Say what the heck you mean, and mean what the heck you say. And it's not designed to be mean. It's not designed to be cruel. But what it's designed to be is exact. What it's designed to be is unwavering. What it's designed to be, catch this, is in a position so that no matter where an individual stands as it pertains to you, your position is constant. And that's how God, as believers, desires us to be. He desires our position to be constant. And being constant in the word is going to bring conflict. Being constant in the word is going to bring pressure because people are not going to understand how you can stand when others have fallen. But those who understand and are tapped into the reality that there's something more to life than just living and dying are going to look at your stand and begin to watch you. That's why the word says mark the perfect or mature man and, and learn his ways. 
There's something about him. There's something about you that gives you the capacity to not burn up when the heat is turned up. There's something about you that allows you to not be disintegrated when the pressure seems to be too much. There's something about you that allows you to smile when everybody around you is crying. There's something about you that allows you to have peace in the midst of chaos. What is that something about you? That's our opportunity to open our mouths and share the word. But it comes with a mindset. Jewish tradition holds, holds rather that a person who entered a Gentile's house was ceremonially defiled. Now the centurion, remember, he's a man under authority because he has a servant. But he's also a man in authority because he's got a hundred men that he's leading. And when you're a soldier, you go some everywhere. You go wherever the action is. Wherever the fight is, that's where you go. So he understood and knew, because he was familiar with the law, that he was not worthy of having Jesus suffer such an inconvenience of coming into the house of his master. Because he knew the dirt that he had did. But he had faith enough to bypass the social psychology behind it. Because social psychology in that instance would have said, you know what? What's the point? Why should I even go to Jesus? Why should I even say anything? He's probably getting what he deserves anyway. Because the centurion had a relationship with God, because the centurion had tapped into the fact that Jesus in the midst of the pressure had wavered, that Jesus in the midst of the heat had been disintegrated, that Jesus in the midst of what was going on had stood and remained constant, he, the centurion, had tapped into the fact that Jesus was something more than just a, than, than just a rabbi. He was something more than just a teacher. Like Peter, he realized flesh and blood didn't reveal it to him. He knew that there was something about Jesus that if he could just have faith enough to speak the word to Jesus and ask Jesus to speak a word because he knew that Jesus' words carried weight because there was something about Jesus that he could tell was different. How many people can say that there's something about you and I, something about the Jesus in you and I that makes us different, that brings us to the point where, I, Pastor, if you would just say a word, if you would just say something. Sister, if you would just say a word in my situation, brother, if you would just speak a word on my behalf, not that we're any better than anybody else because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's all about understanding and perception. Some of the greatest individuals in sports are great. Not so much because of the physical talent that they have, but because of the IQ that they have for the game. And that IQ comes from a love for what they do. And I found as I've gotten older that, I mean, the, the sport that I was competitive in when I was younger was track because I was, the Lord blessed me with speed, but I've always loved baseball and, and it's something that I was good at. But the one thing that my dad never taught me how to do was catch. I could hit anything. I still can. My dad was a tremendous hitter. And I never understood it because my father when he played, and he didn't play pro ball or anything, but when my father played, the position that he played, he was a catcher. So it would stand to logic that the one thing that you teach your son how to do if you teach him how to play baseball is to catch. But he didn't. He taught me how to hit. And I never understood why he was great at both things, but he only taught me one thing. But it hit me when I got old enough to begin to teach 
my sons how to do it. I started with my oldest son. I was teaching him how to play baseball, and he was eight, nine years old. And they had team pictures coming up, and I hit a ball out the center field to him, and I, he would teach them how to field, again, how to catch. And he got in a position to catch the ball just like we had told him. And the ball hit a rock. I didn't see the rock. It was in the grass. The ball hit a rock, kicked up, hit it right in the eye. Now, my son was very, very fair-skinned, very light-skinned. So he had a, a big black bruise right here. And, you know, his aunt and his grandmother and his mom, they all had a fit, but I brought him home. This boy's got a black eye from baseball practice. <laughs> but they worked on that eye and they got it together. My youngest son, many years later, wanted to learn how to play baseball. Learning from the experience of my oldest son, I said this, and there's a point in telling the story, and here's the point. I said to my youngest son, son, what do you think the most important reason is for learning how to catch? I said the most important reason for you to learn how to catch is because catching is the key to effective defense. Defense is what ultimately, along with pitching, wins championships. You have to learn how to be great at defense because hitting is easy. Catch this. Defense is hard. Because when you're on the baseball field and you're playing defense, you know what you're defending more than anything else? He's like, what? I said, yourself. You're defending yourself because this ball right here, feel it. And I gave him a baseball. He's like, this ball is rock hard. I'm like, right. So imagine this traveling from a pitcher's hand at about 100 miles an hour with it hitting you. Or worse yet, imagine it leaving a baseball bat traveling at about 114 miles an hour will come directly at you. Because that's what exit velocity is. Exit velocity is when the ball is hit at home plate. That's how fast it's traveling when it leaves the bat. You're playing first base, which is a position that you're going to get more balls thrown at you than any other position. Because if ground balls are coming anybody's direction in the infield, they're throwing them first base to get them out. So you've got to understand that defense is the key. You've got to understand, catch this, that anything that's thrown at you, you've got to be ready and able to catch. And if you're not ready and able to catch what's being thrown at you, you're destined to fail. Far too many of us, because we have an understanding of the word, but we're not willing to apply the word that's given to us, we're not willing to catch what comes our direction. So we're destined to fail. We all know how to hit. We all know how to worship. We all know what the word says. We all know Psalms 23. We all know John 3.16. But are we willing to put the mid up? Are we willing to catch? Are we willing to play defense? When the enemy comes in like a flood, because the word says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will lift up a standard against it. Guess what? Each of us are members of that standard that will be lifted up. Jesus said, if I, meaning himself, be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. He was speaking literally, but he was also speaking metaphorically. Literally, yes, because he was lifted up on that cross six hours one Friday, men were drawn to him through salvation. But more importantly, figuratively, if we as believers are willing to open our mouths and lift up the name of Jesus in every situation no matter what's going on, don't you know that that's like a huge eternal magnet that's drawing souls back to the kingdom? That's what God is calling us to do, which leads us to our last point. 
as we do these things, as we know our role, and as we open our mouths and speak the word, the last thing we have to do after that is just watch God work. Amen? Amen. All I got to do is watch him work. They have cars now where you can push the button to start them. You don't even need the key to stick it in the ignition anymore. When I got my car, I'm like, okay, where's the key go? I'm looking for like, I'm like, what's that big button right here? Like it says start. Dumb me. So what's that button do? The deal is like, it starts the car. That's why I said it start. Dumb question number two. So what do I do? Push the button to start the car. So I push the button and lo and behold, the car starts. But check this out. No matter how advanced we get, some things never change. I was running out of the house one day, and I was on my way. Um, well, I don't even know where I was on my way to. I was so excited about my new car, because I washed my car, and I made sure that nothing, the bird even looked like it was coming out of direction. I'm like, oh, no, you're going to get away from here. So I got in the car, and I'm thinking, catch this. I don't need the key. So I jump in the car, and I push the button, and nothing happens. And I'm pushing, I'm pushing, I'm pushing, and nothing happens. And I'm standing on the brake, and I'm pushing and pulling. I'm doing everything I did at the dealership, and nothing's happening. I'm like, see, they sold me a lemon, they sold me a defective car. I grabbed the manual out of, out of the glove compartment, and the manual said, even though this is a push-button car, catch this, you still have to have the key with you. I'm like, okay. Again, dumb question. So if I gotta have the key with me, what's the point of having a push-button car I don't need a key? And here's the point that I'm making for the message. The point is, is that the key is not an end. The key is the means by which you gain access to make it to the end. Faith in and of itself is not the end. Faith is the key to activate the word to get to the end. The centurion understood that his faith was not what was going to heal his master. But the centurion understood that his faith was the key to prompt him to speak the word that would bring about the change that would heal his master. Far too often, we leave the key, which is faith at home. We leave it at home. We march in the situations, we've not prayed up, we've not studied up, we've not fellowshiped up, we've not worshiped up. We march in the situations and people get to, we get to work or we get to where we're going and people say something and it ticks us off. And remember, how we handle pressure, how we handle heat, that's what sets us apart. So the people will come to us and want to treat us different. But if they see nothing different in us, if they see us not acting any differently, then when we've left our key at home, we don't have access, we don't have the right to tap into what we need to tap into to bring about change. But if we put the word in place, and if we know our role, and if we've opened our mouths, and if we've studied to show ourselves approved unto God and done everything that we need to do, all we've got to do now is just rejoice and watch the Lord work. The word tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's not for us to necessarily see it. 
But what it is for is us to realize and understand that God is at work and God is faithful. The Bible tells us that heaven and earth will pass away before one jot or one tittle of his word comes back void. In plain English, if Jesus said it, if God said it, we can believe it, we can write a check on it, we can put it in the bank because it's already done. All, all we need to do is be willing and ready to allow God to be God in the situation and to know that everything is in control. What happens sometimes is that faith may be directly involved in healings. And in the word, sometimes faith was directly involved in the Lord's healings. Sometimes it was the faith of the individual. Other times, like in this particular passage of scripture, it was the faith of the centurion. This is a clear-cut example that faith is needed no matter where in the process it's located. Because like that key for me, that key is needed for my car to operate. Because I thought about it this way. If I could get in the car and start the car and operate it and not have a key, because the key is what gives you access, what would stop anybody else from getting in the car and operating my car and driving off in my car? The key is not designed as the end. The key is designed as a thing that that the car recognizes, okay, this is the owner. This is someone that has catches the authority to all the amenities that come with having the vehicle. Because my car has all the toys in it. I got the GPS. I got the satellite radio. I got all kinds of fun stuff in there. But like in all the old spy movies, if all this gets into the wrong hands, what kind of damage could be done? We have to be able to be willing to walk by faith and not by sight and have the key, which is the faith that's housed in understanding the word and housed in not following the herd, but in following God because that's what gains us access because God recognizes that's my son, that's my daughter. They understand me. They understand what's going on. I can trust them because of this kind of power and this kind of authority got into the wrong hands. Imagine what kind of damage could be done. Irreparable damage could be done. But it says here in verses 10 through 13, when Jesus heard it, the it being the centurion's faith, he, Jesus, marveled and said to everybody that followed, notice, he didn't initially talk to the centurion. He let the words of the centurion speak volumes to the people. And that's why God desires us to speak. God desires us to speak the word, not so that he can turn around and speak first to us, because he's going to deal with us. But he wants the word to deal with the people that are standing around. If you remember when Lazarus died, he came four days out, no, three days after Lazarus had died, and after Jesus wept, which is the shortest, shortest scripture in the Bible, Jesus turned around and said, for the benefit of those who are standing around, I want you to see what's about to happen. Then he turned around and addressed the matter at hand. Lazarus, come forth. Jesus always has more to say to people that are standing around because it's an object lesson. It's a teachable moment. So look at what it says here in the word. It says here in, in, in verse 10 that, that when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, you those who are following, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Which is significant because Israel was the seat of everything that was going on. Israel was where God's chosen people. Israel was where all this was supposed to be emanating. There wasn't even faith like that found there. 
And I say to you that many will come from the east and from the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why? Because a lot of people are going to be coming and sitting down going through the motions and they're not going to have the faith to believe what it is that they're saying. There's just going to be words coming out of their mouths. They're going to be going through the motions. Like a lot of us, we go through the motions. We're having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. We say all the right things, but there's no power there. Because you can say anything, but it's how you live and how it's demonstrated that makes a difference. So Jesus went on to say, and I'm, and I'm done after this. Then Jesus said to the centurion, after he laid the groundwork and given the invitation to walk upright and to make it a full commitment proposition, then he said to the centurion, go your way and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Which means speaking the word has a twofold proposition, really a threefold proposition. Fold number one is designed to be a witness to others. It's an avenue for Jesus to come in and make the appeal that this is the better way. Number two is a point of confirmation for us. That our faith is indeed working because God lets us know that he's going to move in our situation. And most importantly, number three, it's an opportunity for us to witness and testify of God's goodness. And it emboldens us even the more because now we have something to go behind what we believe in. Now we have an experience that we can draw on. When I interviewed for my position, uh, my management position, one of the questions that they asked is, do you have examples of how you dealt with challenging situations? and how you overcame them. That's significant because it's now a, it's a precursor to how you're going to act when you're put in a real life situation. If you've not had any experience in doing that and you have no examples that you can draw from, it makes it very hard for an employer to believe that you can do it going forward. You have to exhibit something that's there. In other words, you've got to do it this way. In order for you to have something you've never had, you have to do something you've never done. And it starts before you have the position. My colleague at work says all the time as it pertains to dress, but me personally, I interpret it to more than just dress. She always says, don't dress for the position that you're in. Dress for the position that you're striving to achieve. It doesn't start when you get there. It starts by faith before you get there because faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. In other words, if I'm looking to be a vice president in, in consumer affairs and, and, and customer experience, I start acting like it now. I start walking like it now. I start talking like it now. I start seeing my nameplate now in Philadelphia on the door of my office now. It doesn't matter that I'm in Chicago. It doesn't matter that I'm in a small store. It doesn't matter what I'm doing now. I'm not dressing for the position I have right now. I'm working and striving and dressing for where I'm looking to go by Hey, that's why we have to say the word. The words that we say form the world that we live in. We have to understand that death and life are in the power of the tongue. The centurion understood. He spoke life into his servant, or spoke life rather into his master, excuse me. Though he was a master himself, he became a servant to provide life to someone in need. That sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? The King of Kings and Lord of Lords volunteered to put flesh on and six hours one Friday 
hung as a man in authority under the authority of the Father so that we who don't deserve to be healed might have the right to say yes Lord the word works church the key is we've got to be willing to put the work in to make the word work for us amen we thank and praise God for his word on today and we thank and praise God for how he's continuing to move and minister to us. And my prayer is that we truly become doers of the word in every area of our lives and not hearers only because I'm here as a living witness to let you know that indeed the word works. Amen. Amen. Amen.